And a very good evening to you. It is Wednesday, the 15th of September, 2021. I'm the BBG. It's lovely in Salford this afternoon. Bit of an Indian summer again, you racist bastard. Indian summer. It is, it's lovely. Thanks for joining me. Special programme, kind of, seven years ago today. The first Richie Allen show is broadcast. Who'd have believed it? Who'd have believed it? It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. I had a really interesting email from Tony Crawley. Tony is a microbiologist with uh, nearly 15 years experience providing microbiological diagnostic products for the NHS and many other companies. He knows his onions. He's not happy about the claims being made about the pandemic. He's not happy about the claims being made about COVID-19. And he's got plenty to talk about. With me, he'll do that in the second hour. He'll also talk about the artificial sweetener aspartame, amongst other things. Interesting, very interesting guy. It's Tony. He'll be with me later on. It is a tale of two Tonys today. My great friend Tony Gosling will be live from Bristol this hour. Tony is a broadcaster, an author and a historian. Never dull. Brilliantly briefed. We'll round up, I suppose, Tony and I, some of the bigger stories of the day. That's Richie Allen... The Richie Allen Show for Wednesday, September the 15th. All righty. How are you? You well? You all right, Jar? You hanging on in there? Good stuff. Seven years ago today, first programme, exactly seven years ago, a very different studio. Oh, I tell you, very different. I had an iMac, I had a Dell laptop, I had a Behringer desk and a Rode microphone, which had been designed to be used as a boom microphone. I had no radio station standard microphone, no sound cards, no sound processors, no sound proofing, and I had no software for playout, you know, to schedule sweeps and idents and jingles, nothing like that. What I had was the ability to go live, to speak to guests and to play the odd tune when I needed to do that. And Paul Ripley did an absolutely stand-up job to get me on air at the time because it sounded okay. Fast forward seven years, I'm sitting talking to you right now in a air-conditioned, sound-proofed, sound-dampened BBC Standard Studio with BBC Standard microphones and a BBC Standard Broadcast console. I've got sound processors and every bell and whistle you can think of. It's been some journey over seven years. Thank God for it, because I've enjoyed it. There is a little post on the website, richieallen.co.uk, where I thank a few people. I might have left somebody very important out. I'll edit it as I go along, as I think of people. More on the anniversary, maybe, a little bit later. I suppose it isn't the biggest deal in the world, is it really? We're, I don't know, preoccupied, the human species, with anniversaries and dates. But yeah, it does seem a long time ago when this began. The cabinet reshuffle is all the rage on the media at the moment. I won't burden you with it. Uh, Presenters and reporters are breathless with excitement. Who's been fired? Who gets his job? Who gets her job? 
as if it matters a damn who fills these posts, eh? You might as well have Wurzel Gummidge as a foreign secretary and Aunt Sally as the home secretary. They're window dressers. They don't have any brief. He has a great command of a brief, you know. No, he doesn't. He does what he's told. She does what she's blooming well told. Elephantitis of the Nuts is making the news today. Elephantitis of the Nuts. Swelling of the Stones. <laughs> Big old balls making the news today because Nicki Minaj, who's a Trinidadian rapper, who, because I'm not clued in, with what the kids are getting down with. I haven't a Scooby-Doo, I told you before. My, look at my record collection. Ah, sure, look, it, it stops at 1986 or something, I don't know. But Nicki Minaj, yeah, she tweeted yesterday, I didn't pick this up in time for yesterday's monologue, which is a shame, because we could have had a bit of fun with this. She tweeted, my cousin in Trinidad won't get the vaccine because his friend got it and became impotent. His testicles became swollen. His friend was weeks away from getting married. Now the girl called off the wedding. So just pray on it and make sure you're comfortable with your decision not bullied. What a bitch calling off the wedding. Just because he's wearing blanks. Just because he's semen. Well, they're doing the breaststroke instead of the freestyle, you know. So the old wedding was called off. Apparently, according to the Trinidadian, Trinidadian rapper Nicki Minaj, who seems like she's got a wonderful sense of humour. She's been taking the Mickey out of the British accent. Let's hope she doesn't hear the Irish accent and get started in on us. Anyway, Chris Whitty and Boris Johnson were asked about it yesterday, which I could have gotten into, but I didn't realise. They said they were disgusted at the disinformation flying around. Chris Whitty is disgusted at Nicki Minaj in Trinidad. Chris Whitty, yeah. Uh, Chris Whitty, who as well as England's chief medical officer is a GP. Have you examined the testes in question, Chris? Have you? Have you examined them to check if they're abnormal size? Have you weighed them? Hey! I love the old ones. Everyone wanted to pop uh, at Nicki Minaj. Everyone wanted a piece of Nicki Minaj, including Mike Graham of Talk Radio Today. Nicki Minaj, you'd have to say, is a bit of a numpty. I love these eternally, perenni perennially offended dipsticks like Mike Graham, who has made a career in the tabloid media and on the radio of getting pissed off at the woke people and getting pissed off at political correctness. That's, that's what he does. That's how he earns a living. Yes, these things are moderately important, but in the grand scheme of things, they don't really matter. You big hypocritical baldy backstart. Yes, I, I have weighed in with my opinions on the woke, but I've not made a career out of it, you know? Out of bitching about political correctness. No, I haven't. Anyway, Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj. You'd have I love it. Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj, you'd have to say, is a bit of a numpty. After all, when you've got 22 million followers, there are certain things that you can do. And there are certain things that you shouldn't probably do. If I was giving advice to people on whether or not they should get a vaccination, I would think rather carefully about what advice that was. I don't give advice out on whether you should get a vaccination. I tell you to make up your own mind. She claims that she's got a cousin in Trinidad who's got a swollen testicle. Now, it may well be that there is such a cousin in Trinidad with a swollen testicle, or it may not be. But she makes out that this cousin 
had such a problem with his testicle that he became impotent and could not then get married and had to cancel. Yeah, and had to cancel the wedding. And do you know this to be untrue? It's a matter of interest. Everybody is calling this bullshit today, but nobody seems to be able to prove that it's untrue. Has Nicki Minaj come out? Am I embarrassing myself now? Has Nicki Minaj recently come out and said, ah, it was just a big load of bollocks. Has she done that? I don't know. But they don't know if it's true. And had to cancel his wedding. It all sounds a little bit fanciful to me. Why? And it looks like... Sometimes when you get an injection of something, sometimes there is a reaction to it, you know. A bit of attention-seeking, doesn't it? And I wouldn't have thought that that's going to be very helpful to anybody. So regardless of what we think of Chris Whitty, and regardless of what we think of his mistaken idea that vaccinating children is a great idea, I do think that when you're backing Nicki Minaj against Chris Whitty, you might be barking up the wrong tree. I don't know about that. I'd back Joey Essex over Chris Whitty, and Joey Essex is about the stupidest motherfucker alive. I'd take Joey Essex over Chris Whitty in a game of, in a game of trivial pursuit. In a game of chess, I'd back Joey Essex. Chris Whitty doesn't look the brightest, you know, spark to me. More from Mike Graham. So on this occasion, I'm going to say... Uh, what are you going to say? Uh, Nicki Minaj should really button it. And- <laughs> the home of free speech, they call themselves, talk radio. Mike Graham, we are the home of free speech. We are the home of free speech. Nicki Minaj, button it. Button it, love. Button it. Shut your cake hole, last. And stop trying to influence people as to what they do about getting vaccinated. She didn't try to influence people at all. She said don't be bullied into getting vaccinated because it can have consequences. My cousin's boyfriend's sister's brother's uncle, he's now got fo- he's, he's now got testicles the size of footballs because he had the jab. It's entirely their affair and they don't need to hear stories about cousins who may or may not exist, who may or may not have swollen testicles, who may or may not be impotent, and who may or may not have had to cancel their weddings. Yeah, but if you take the may not out of that, you're saying who may have got the jab and whose balls may have swollen up to abnormal size, who they then may have found out that they're shooting blanks. Well, I'd like to know that. As somebody with the male appendage myself, I'd like to know this. I'd like to meet Nicki Minaj's cousin. I'd like to see these testicles for myself. Do you see what I'm saying? No. Yes, I thought you would. I fucking don't. Common sense. It's all we require. We don't need maniacs saying things. Maniacs! She's a maniac now because she said my cousin's sister's brother's uncle's boyfriend, who met this guy at 71 Flavours Ice Cream, she might be telling the truth. It's uh, 11 minutes past five. This is the Richie Allen radio show. Yeah. <laughs> Guess who was on Adam Bolton's Sky News programme this morning? Well, Sunetra Gupta, the theoretical epidemiologist from Oxford University. She's getting around lately. They didn't used to like speaking with her because she doesn't agree with SAGE, the government. Anyway, she told Bolton what she's been saying to talk radio. No need to jab the kiddies, it's wrong, she said. No need to keep the restrictions. Good lass. Then Adam Bolton asked her this. I know you don't want to make predictions. I just want to ask you, what do the statistics and the analysis tell us about the wearing of masks? At the moment, I would say the data do not suggest that mask mandates have um, any effect on transmission. Uh, Obviously, it's up to an individual again. If you want to wear a mask, if you're visiting someone vulnerable, you know, you want to do every little thing that's possible to, to, to prevent Um, infecting them. But I think the data are pretty clear that mask mandates um, 
don't work. There's no difference between places where they were mandated and where they weren't in terms of the patterns that we see of spread. That's rather different from whether you should wear them or not. No, I don't think mask mandates don't work. There's not much evidence that masks as such work. There are, there are costs to wearing masks amongst young children, which I think we should attend to. So, what- Not much evidence that masks work. Not much. I'm not going to put words into her mouth, she didn't say. Not much evidence that masks work. In fact, there's none. And there is evidence that wearing them causes harm, she says to Adam Bolton. Round about now, the... The director and the producer are screaming at Adam Bolton to get her off. Get her off! So what we need to do right now is think, focus our attention on the costs of these mitigation strategies. Masks are just one of them, but we really need to think about what lockdowns, what working from home, who are they protecting? They, uh, who they're protecting really... He's trying to come in there. ...are the affluent middle classes and at the expense of the poor who cannot work from home, who cannot keep their children at home. Get her off. Um, and locking down young children who don't have access to any kind of recreational facilities and right. don't okay. have big gardens. Um, Get her off. Okay. Well, of course, the government argues that vaccinations will stop lockdowns. But anyway, we'll leave it there. Uh, thank you very much to the Professor uh, Sunepta uh, Gupta, Professor of Theoretical Epidemiology at Oxford University. Yeah, he might as well have said... Nothing to see here. Please. Get rid of her. Too much truth. She's had too much to think, you might argue. 14 minutes past five. The Richie Allen Radio Show, live from BBG Towers. Here in Salford, you can see it from the Great Wall of China. It's so, it's so impressive, this radio studio. What am I doing now? I've no idea. Tony Gosling will be with me in a minute. Later on, Tony Crawley. You don't want to miss Tony. Hey, a big thanks to Dennis Walsh of the Advertiser in Kerry. Lovely gentleman. Was on the programme with me a few weeks ago and he was tip-top was, Dennis, he'll be back on with me again real soon. And he kindly sent me a link to the clip you're about to hear. If he hadn't sent it to me, I wouldn't have seen it because I was busy today. Thanks, Dennis. Clive Palmer is the chairman of the United Australian Party. He's a billionaire, a co-zillionaire. He's got loads of money. Now, this guy had a press conference yesterday and he was needled by a reporter who wanted to chastise him, chastise Palmer, for downplaying the severity of COVID. Listen to what Clive Palmer says about New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian. Listen to this. It's very interesting. You could say it kicks off. Just stand behind it. Clive, what would you say right now to the people of Sydney New South Wales, mm. 1,800 cases, 1,800 cases a day, whatever they're up to at the moment. Mm. It's horrible what's going on and there's people dying in hospital. Yeah, well, We've seen, but hang on, we've seen people die in hospital. Mm. They're not dying of fake disease, they're dying of COVID-19. You're up here today, it's mm. irresponsible. Well, I don't... Yeah, it's irresponsible, mate. So, so the reporter's saying it's irresponsible to downplay it, there are people dying, ecosystems are collapsing and all the rest of it. Well, I believe that, you know. But what but, would you say to those business well, owners that can't open their business well, well, because... I would say it's terrible. Their premier is telling them that the only way out is a double jab, and that's what they've been told. Yeah, I'd say their premier is lying to them. I'd say that she's under an IPAC inquiry, that a particular lobbyist in Sydney controls the Liberal Party in Sydney and has told her that the only way she gets out of that inquiry is if she pushes the double jab. That's astonishing, isn't it? 
He's talking about the Premier of New South Wales, Gladys Berejiklian. She's lying about the need to double jab people. She is the subject of an ICAC, that's I-C-A-C inquiry, corruption inquiry. She's been told the only way she gets out of the corruption inquiry is if she double jabs people and works as hard as she can to push people into taking the double jabs, locking them down until they accept the double jabs. And then he said that um, her party is being lobbied to the tune of millions by Pfizer and by... uh, other pharmaceutical companies. And his clients are AstraZeneca, and his clients yeah, are Pfizer. That, that's what I'd say. Political. What about the business owner that's no, uh, told? He can't open his doors until he The journalist is pretty shit, isn't he? Because that's the thing. Your next question as a journalist is, you've, have you any proof of that? That Pfizer and AstraZeneca are spending millions with the Liberal Party so that she'll lock people down in abject misery until they accept the jabs, and in return for that, she won't be investigated for corruption? That's your next question. It, it's journalism 101. Question, I'll, I'll answer. You're just answering with no, That's what I... You are, you ask me. You about are, people that are trying to open their businesses, people that yeah, live in well, towns that are told they have to double Well, if you don't want me to answer the question, you know, I'll answer the question to start with. That's what I'd tell them, and I'd say that what the premiers tell them is not true, and that that policy should—they shouldn't be locked down. Businesses should be open, and the go- and the government's using this as an excuse to destroy them, and that's—they know that. Do you that, think that's, they, 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 what do you think that the premier of New South Wales wants to destroy business? I do. And, and, why, why would she do that? Why he says? Well, he just told you why, because she's under investigation. She doesn't want to be. And Pfizer and AstraZeneca lobbyists are spending millions with her and her party for her to keep the lockdowns going to coerce people into having the jabs. He made it perfectly straightforward, even for, well, even for a thick mick like me. Because, because she, as I tried to explain to you, that she's being directed by a lobbyist in Sydney who's being paid by AstraZeneca and by Pfizer tens of millions of dollars to get these policies through to make sure the vaccine is, is pushed. That's why. You asked the question, I gave you the answer. And that's my personal knowledge. And I'm happy to make a statement here to police or to anyone if they want to know what's going on. Well, that's all. Uh, well, I'll be doing that. But it, it, He's going to name the lobbyists at some stage. He said, none, as far as I could tell this afternoon, please feel free to prove me wrong. None of the Australian... News channels, maybe, maybe, maybe Sky News Australia maybe has said something about this, but I can't find it online. None of the online news channels in Australia have gone with this story and this claim because this is a very serious claim. Of course, they should go with it. They should investigate it. And if Palmer is telling the truth, of course, they should report it. That's the essence of journalism, dear listener. It's 19 minutes past five. Tony Gosling, right soon, later on. Can't wait to meet Tony Crawley, the microbiologist, to talk about aspartame, to talk about COVID-19 and the jabs. Don't want to miss Tony. Busy old show, as it always is. I didn't mention at the top of the programme, silly me for not doing it. If you'd like to comment, the way to do that is go to richieallen.co.uk. At the top of the page, it says comment live. Please comment live. Oh, that reminds me. You, I need your help. Today, I banned and deleted a user of the website for the first time ever. Honestly, the website has had two or three facelifts, but it's been around for a few years and I have never deleted anyone. I deleted somebody today. Do you know what they did? 
you know what they did? The person I deleted? They posted the address of a pretty high-profile public figure on the comment segment of the website and they invited people to go round and see that person. That's a crime. And rightly so. That's incitement to violence. So I deleted it and deleted the person involved and if I catch them on the website again, I'll delete them. Uh, So don't read me wrong. This is not me warning you not to do that because I know you would never do that. I know that. I'm asking for your help. If you see anything like that again on the website, please message me with uh, an urgent tag saying, Richie, because we can't have that. We cannot have that. That is the sort of thing that could cause huge problems for the website and for me and for Hayden Hewitt. Yeah, some arsehole went on there this morning and posted the address of a high-profile public figure and invited people to go around and see them. Yeah, don't ever do that. I know you'll never do it. I know you wouldn't do that. I know if you saw some of these people in the street, you might have a few choice words to say to them, and I wouldn't blame you. But incitement to violence? No, we don't do that. We never do that. Violence is not the answer. Listen, three years ago, two and a half years ago, I just moved to Salford, Some very dangerous people posted my address, posted my phone number, posted the registration number of my car and invited people to come and see me. That was a very unpleasant experience. Believe you me. So I have a dog in that fight. Anyway, what else was I going to tell you? Um, I don't know. I'm going to read a few comments. Thanks for them, by the way. Comment live at the top of the Richie Allen website, richieallen.co.uk. Good evening. Good evening to Incendiary. That's a bit of a... That's a bit ironic, that. His name is... Or her name is Incendiary and says, Agreed, no incitement to violence is necessary. Thank you. Chris Morell says, Richie Aspartame. That was Donald Rumsfeld, was it not? It was Donald Rumsfeld and G.K. Searle. Well remembered, Chris. We'll get into this later on with uh, Tony, of course. Hi to Pandora. How you doing, Pandora? Don't get ahead of yourself there, Pandora. Excellent show so far, she says. Give over. It's only 21 minutes old. But thank you. Good evening to Paul. Good evening to the Fox. Good evening to Darth Sidious. How you doing? Are you well? Hi to Lucy. Hi to Denise. Denise says, Palmer hit the nail on the head. That journalist was spitting, literally, trying to shut him up. You're absolutely bang on. But sadly, none of the Australian heavyweight media providers have reported on what Palmer said, which is libelous, by the way. And Palmer is a billionaire. So if he's lying, this Gladys Bejiklian, whoever you pronounce it, she should take him to the cleaners. I would. Oh, Jesus, if if a billionaire libels you, oh, get straight to court. Not us, they wouldn't, we wouldn't win because of who we are, but but the likes of um, herself, uh, Bejiklian, she'll win. I think it's time to take a tune and get my first guest on. It's time for a tune while I get Tony Gosling on the line. This is the Richie Allen Radio Show live from Salford. The wonderful Salford here in the northwest of the UK. It's a lovely afternoon. Thanks for joining me. Tony Crawley, microbiologist later on. Before that, it's the one and only Tony Gosling. Lovely to be with you. Thanks for choosing the Richie Allen Show. This is Bob Seeger and Hollywood Nights. She's the... Bob Seeger, Hollywood Nights on the Richie Allen Show from the Stranger in Town album, 1978, I think. 
78 if I'm wrong. Well, dreadful, dreadful. Um, seven years doing this particular programme. Gentleman you're about to hear from has been appearing with me since my days in Spain. I love him. He's a fantastic journalist, broadcaster. He's a historian and he's an author and he's a very good author too. Welcome back to the programme. Bristol's finest. It is uh, the one and only Tony Gosling. Welcome back to Holy Jesus, Mary and Holy St. Joseph. After an intro like that, he's not there. Are you there, son? Have you got your microphone turned on, have you? You have? You haven't? Turn that mic on and we'll try again. We'll have to try again. While we try again... Ah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll call him, you see. It could be the dark forces of the 77th. It isn't. It isn't, by the way. I don't think the... I don't think they care too much about me. Let's uh, get him on. He, he Sometimes Tony can find himself in a place with not the best coverage in the world. Good evening, Mr. Gosling. Are you there? Ah, we have a problem. Connection is too weak, it's telling me, so the only thing to do in that situation is to take a tune. So a tune is coming your way, hopefully, Tony Gosling. Hopefully soon, because uh, lots to get through with him. Lots and lots and lots and lots to get through with him. What have I got? Oh, would you believe what I've got lined up? Oh, be Jesus. It's a, a leftover from Sunday Morning Melodies. It'll have to do. Let's see, can we get Tony back? There's no need. Matt Monroe, I know it's outrageous, isn't it? Drive time music, Matt Monroe, the station manager, would be giving me my P45 now. Tony Gosling, welcome back. How are you? Hi, Richie. Yes, I'm fine. Good to have you on, my friend. Gave you the biggest build-up you've ever gotten in your life and then the whole thing fell apart on us. But good, uh, good, good to have you back. And thanks for... blame Skype. We... We can blame Skype for that. We'll blame Bill Gates. It's his bloody programme, isn't it? Or, or somebody like him. I've got to ask you this. Um, look, we're going to get through as many things as we can in the next 30 minutes. I must ask you this straight off the bat. What do you make of the news that the High Court of this country is going to assist Virginia Roberts, Dufre and her legal team in serving Prince Andrew, the Duke of York? What do you make of that, Tony? A lot of people think this is big. What do you think? Well, I, I think this is just a, a, a smear campaign against Andrew. Andrew, it seems, has had sex with a 17-year-old, which isn't a crime. And nowadays, it looks like, you know, the whole media is in, in as one with the judicial system in just attacking Andrew, just like they've attacked Julian Assange. Prince Andrew is not really a criminal. He's a very dim guy, but he's, he's in a powerful position being uh, a daughter of the Queen, and the idea is to just smear him and get him out of the way. I think she was underage. She was on. she was underage when she alleges they had sex, meaning that if he did have sex with her when she was underage, he did commit a crime. This guy is a lying bastard. T. He says I have no memory of her. We've got a photograph of the two of them together. I I don't have any well, sympathy for him. Uh, uh, look, there's also a very famous photograph of her with her arm round him, being all lovey dovey and friendly. It's, a, it's exactly like Assange. You had, you had the same thing with the smears against Assange over in Sweden with the woman at the time who apparently he'd raped, tweeting, oh, I just had an, a, a night with the coolest guy on the planet, you know. So I, I think you just... It's, I mean, I'm, I'm not one that goes with the flow. I look I know at that. the evidence, and the evidence is that Andrew is just being smeared. They, they want him out of the way. They want, you know, exactly as has happened to Harry, but in a different way. These people are being cleared out of the way because we're getting to the point where the Queen may die, the royal succession, and Charles is, wants everybody who might speak up in public against him to be 
smeared and have their characters assassinated. Let's come so, back I mean, to that. Hang on, hang on. Lying, hang on. Let me jump I think, in. I think you're right. Yeah, he's a liar. We, we, we saw the Emily Maitlis interview. He also, he also consorted with a known paedophile. His sympathies lay with a pedophile in Jeffrey Epstein. This is a dark character here now, this guy. I'm not saying he's an especially important guy, but he's a lying bastard. Yeah. The Emily Maitlis interview was a disgrace. He definitely met well, Virginia he, Roberts too He is important. He is important because he's a, do- he's a son of the Queen. And he's, he's somebody who would have a say over, in, certainly in public, about whether Charles is suitable to take over or not. But, look, I mean, the guy's dim. The Emily Mater, I would say it's just basically a honey trap. Very simple honey trap. That's what's happened. He's not a paedophile, although he gets uh, accused of being so. We don't know that. We don't know he's not a paedophile. We don't know, Tony. This is why these people want to speak with him. We don't know if anybody is, do we? No, no. The evidence is of of, uh, Virginia Roberts uh, and him. It's nothing to do with paedophilia. This is a young girl within the age of consent having sex with Prince Andrew. And the attempt here is to just character assassinate the guy. Personally, I don't think there's much point because he's incredibly dim. He's trying to lie his way out of it, but he's fallen straight into a honey trap man trap. Let's go back to what you said about um, the future King of England, who who many of my (laughs) listeners and, and your followers and supporters which are legion, my friend. Uh, you're you're one of the over the seven years I've done this. You you are one of the most requested guests. I can't think why you're such a curmudgeonly bollocks <laughs> at the back of it all. But tell me this: most people believe that this guy Charles is darkly sinister, and he's really he's he's got a lot to do with the what 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 some people call the new world order agenda. Is that what you're hinting at? That yeah. this right? Definitely. Okay, hundred percent. He is the main man behind the whole climate stuff. And he has been ever since the Rio Earth Summit. So if you have a look at these, uh, the events that go on with the climate, also with the pro-Zionist, the propping up, uh, the Zionist myth, this idea that, oh, we've got to get all these Jewish people together and God is on their side and they can do no wrong, however many Palestinians they kill. Charles is absolutely at the centre of all that stuff. Not only that, he was, uh, his wife was murdered. I don't think we can say... Uh, that uh, he did it, but he certainly would have um, uh, given a nod and a wink to make sure it took place because he hated the fact that the public and the press actually loved her far more than him. You know, this is the last thing that somebody uh, that he, like, like he wants. So the other thing is I, I interview every once in a while, maybe once a year, this guy Tim Cohen in the States. Yeah, you do, yeah. And Tim, Tim uh, has done a book called The Antichrist and a Cup of Tea. The reason I give him credibility is because he has pinned down about seven or eight different biblical references that say that Prince Charles is the man of perdition, you know. And I, I, it's, it's not for me to decide, but if someone is actually saying the Bible says this, and he's linking up various verses right across the Bible, particularly to do with Prince Charles's name, the number calculating to the 666, uh, his, his um, uh, heraldic badge, which has also got all these symbols on it that are actually there in the book of Revelation. I think it's interesting because, it is. you know, obviously the Brits have got an important part in the world. And the idea that, you know, Charles, as everybody knows, 
is not a Christian. He's going to be overturning the Christian religion. He couldn't possibly be the head of the Church of England because he doesn't believe in any of it. Where's the evidence? Hang on, hang on, hang on, my great friend. Where's the evidence that this guy wants to overturn the Christian religion? I've never heard him say anything like that. Well, he, he wants to, he wants a new religion which is based on all religions. So he's the, he said he's the defender of faith, not the defender of the faith. So he couldn't possibly be the head of the Church of England. So he's going to, you know, I don't think it's possible for him to have, for example, a Christian coronation. How could he be when he's made it clear that he's not a Christian? Uh, anyway, so you know, there's all sorts of reasons why. I mean, I'm particularly, particularly through all the Diana stuff I've been researching over the years. This guy. Uh, butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. He'll say anything. Uh, and yet, actually, at the end of the day, he's murdered his wife. I mean, that's a controversial thing to say, I know. But I believe that, that he's, he, he got Diana out of the way, mainly because of the landmines business, uh, but also because he didn't want uh, his, his sons to have a Muslim uh, half, half-brother or a stepfather. He didn't want the Muslims in on that uh, at all. And so Diana just was, she was used uh, to produce some children and then she was just dispatched. Uh, can I, can I come in on that? Can I come in on that? Let me come in on that. couple of things. A lot of people believe that the Dodie Diana thing was a myth, that there wasn't any real serious relationship there, number oh, one. Come on. Hang on, let me, let me, you, you can come back in. You've had a good say now. You can come back in and you can, you can go back to that again. A lot of people say that. You mentioned, look, I know why you think Charles was involved. The last thing in the world I would ever do is t- tell you you're wrong, because I don't know that you're wrong. But there are many other theories. You mentioned the landmines. You've got what we call the you know the military industrial complex there were many 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 corporations that would have been happy to see Diana dead as well her, her her enemies the list of her enemies was a very long one indeed these are theories there isn't any proof that Charlie had anything to do with her murder that's all well, I'm saying yes I, th- you, I think you're probably right the proof is not there but if you go to the inquest it's absolutely clear unlawful killing was the verdict it wasn't an accident. That's right. She was unlawfully killed. And you have to look at who had the motive to do that. If you go to John Morgan's book, so I'm not sure if you got a chance to interview him, Richie, before he died. No. He makes it absolutely... Because he had all of the uh, evidence from the French police investigation, uh, the Paget report, the coroner's report, uh, the actual transcript of the whole of the coroner's inquest, which took up... A, wasn't there about four different coroners before they found one that would actually do that inquest? And then the Scotland Yard police reports, he had access to a whole lot. And he showed that she died, she was murdered in the ambulance on the way to hospital. The ambulance stopped, the ambulance was seen to rock from side to side, etc. I don't think that... Oh, yeah, the other thing, important thing to note about this, a Bilderberger, Sherard Cowper-Coles, uh, it's spelled Cooper-Coles, but it's pronounced Cowper-Coles, he was brought over to take over the, uh, the MI6... Uh, Paris station, the France station, just a few weeks before the Diana assassination. And it's almost certain that, the, you know, he was brought over to do that job. He then went on to become, I think it was uh, one of the directors of HSBC. He was brought into BAE Systems as well. So, you know, they brought someone over, just a dispatcher. They used the, uh, the secret state, which Charles, by the way, I mean, this is something I, I discovered recently. I didn't know from the testimony from the two director generals of the BBC that he had been using the security services, MI5 and GCHQ, to spy on Diana right through their breakup in order to make sure he stayed one step ahead 
uh, during the divorce proceedings, which is just a complete it's outrageous abuse of power. Outrageous, yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, I, I, I have one more thing to say about Andrew. And you can come back on it. And then I want to talk about Shamima Begum because this is very interesting yeah. stuff. And, and fair play to you. That, that article you did a couple of years ago on, on, on her situation, absolutely bang on the money. We'll talk about that in a moment. Look, we know that this guy, Andrew, was hanging out with Epstein at a time when Epstein was abusing underage girls. I think you're giving him, I'm talking about paedophile island now, I think you're giving Andrew a pass there, to be honest. And I'm surprised at you. Well, I'm not, I'm not criticising <laughs> you for it. I'm surprised that you're giving him a pass. This, I, I look at Andrew, and if I had to put my last fiver, I would say he's up to his neck in, in look, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't make accusations against him that I can't prove. What I'm saying is, he hung out with a guy that he knew was destroying the lives of underage girls. Who does that? Who hangs out with people like that? Back to you. Well, someone, someone that's entrapped, and I think that's quite clear. He was entrapped. Uh, you know, look, I, I actually think, you know, I completely sympathise with anyone that wants... You know what? The elite know that we want somebody who's in some sort of position of authority, part of the establishment, every once in a while to just bash them. And what they'll do is they'll find somebody who's innocuous like Andrew. And if you looked at that Emily Maitlis interview, you see he could harm, hardly harm a fly. The guy is very dim, basically. He's not, certainly not part of some massive conspiracy. It's just, he's just hardly even there. But to be able to bash these people is what they love to give us. They love to give us punch balls and punch bags. And Andrew's just simply the latest one, I think. And it's incredible, isn't it, to see all the way all these authorities and the media around the world are going along with this, even though, like Assange, he hasn't actually, it looks on the surface of it, broken British law at all. Now, uh, give us a 20-second answer to this question. If you were right then, and Charles is what we, what we think Charles is, and if he wants to push these people out of the way, people like his son... Uh, the, the Duke of Sussex, and if he wants to push Andrew out of the way, if you're right, well, Andrew is scuppered then, isn't he? He's going to end up yeah. in court, and he's going to end up with some sort of a black mark against his name. Well, quite possibly, yes. Uh, you know, I don't, yeah, obviously the royals are very powerful when it comes to the courts. The Crown Prosecution Service isn't called that for no reason. Uh, and I think, yeah, I mean, his history, he's, he's been character assassinated, and I think he just needs some decent advice on how to deal with this because, you know, I think just like Princess Anne and other members of the royal family, these people know they've got to keep their hands down, otherwise they'll get chopped off. Quite, you know, these days they don't do it uh, like the princes in the tower or actually very rarely things that happen like happened to Diana. Most of the time they're just character assassinated in the press and that's what's happened to him, I think. Very, very interesting stuff. Tony Gosling, uh, the producer, the co-presenter of the brilliant politics show out of Bristol, author, historian, a great guy, thisweek.org.uk. Follow Tony on Twitter oh. as well. Tell me this now. I, I was out doing a few things this morning, went for me run, came back, was messing around with my website, and I saw social media going mad because Good Morning Britain interviewed Shamima Begum, yes, the, the ISIS bride, the girl who absconded from the country and went to Syria. Uh, no better man than you to talk about this because you've covered this extensively. And she was on there and she looked very innocent, lovely long hair. And I'm sorry and I want to come back. For listeners who don't know, when Sajid Javid was the Home Secretary, he said she'll never be allowed back into the country. She wants to come back to help fight terrorism in the UK and the prevent strategy and all of that stuff. Give us the uh, give us the, the reality, Tony. What's going on here? Okay, well, uh, this is this was uh, an amazing little coincidence. 
that happened whilst we were live on air. Martin Summers and I discussing, um, this is about three years ago, uh, this woman, Shamima Begum, because she'd come up in a Turkish uh, article, um, which I think had only been published in one or two articles anywhere in English, uh, saying that this woman, Shamima Begum, uh, they had found in Turkey a, a Canadian intelligence officer who'd been arrested for recruiting her and her two friends from Bethnal Green on Facebook and getting them flown over to Istanbul and then escorting them through the country to southern Turkey uh, to join ISIS. And then we, I suddenly realised, well, hang on a minute, this is the same girl, Shamima Begum, schoolgirl, who we'd seen stories of a few months previously uh, has disappeared and believed abducted to, to join ISIS. We were just putting two and two together, really, uh, from, a, from a UK, I think it was Evening Standard article, uh, about the London schoolgirls to making to hang on a minute. These are the same kids that turned up in Turkey and that this guy's now been arrested. So, of course, all the information published in Turkey about who this person was, and I don't think, actually, by the way, the police that arrested this guy uh, uh, did very well because then I think they, I'm not absolutely sure about the details of this, Richie, but I think they were sanctioned and told to shut up. But the thing is, the story had got out. So what happened with Shamima and her two schoolgirl friends in Bethnal Green was they were recruited on Facebook by this Canadian intelligence officer. Well, he wasn't an officer, he was an agent. And the reason that the way that they get people to do things like this is the Canadians had offered this guy, this agent, this recruiter, a Canadian passport. And obviously they were paying him plus expenses for anyone that he could recruit. Uh, and so this is the real sting in the tale of the Shamima Begum story is that she fell for a Western intelligence recruitment uh, uh, effort that was being done via Facebook. And this, I think, is the most important aspect. Now, the, 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 the Turkish police actually got this guy's laptop, and there's a whole report on what they found on the laptop, which was that there were hundreds of kids from around the world, quite a lot from the UK, that this guy and his his friend had been recruiting, and they Why? had photographs and all the records in, in Turkey of them. You did a brilliant job on this. I'm going to share, if I can find a way to share the article, I might put it on my website later on. You dissected this. What was this Canadian um, secret agent doing this for? What was the purpose of recruiting all of these uh, 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 children from around the world? Why was he taking them okay, to Syria? Well, two reasons. One is, is they were paying him, the Canadian Intelligence Service, Oh, and by the way, when uh, he got these girls, these three girls, down to southern Turkey, he handed them over to a Brit who would be MI6 agent uh, uh, to take them actually de the, the last step of the journey to join ISIS in Syria. Uh, the, the two reasons were uh, the main the main reason is the bribe is the is the Canadian passport. Everybody in that part of the world wants to have citizenship of a Western country so they can get out of the war zone. They can get themselves a decent job and get into the clear. That's the main, re main way they recruit these people. And secondly, of course, the guy's being paid a reasonably handsome sum for every single kid he can report, recruit. But, of course, the key to all this is that ISIS is nothing to do with Islam or Iran or anything like that. It's just the Western powers doing what they've been doing ever since the 1980s in Afghanistan under Operation Cyclone, which is running Islamist terrorism you know they take the money from saudi arabia too and this whole kind of fake version of islam where you've got to pick up a gun 
and yeah, you know yeah. start, start you know a bit like the Puritans in the English Civil War, which you Irish found uh, you know were a bit of a pain in the backside. Yeah, uh, it, you know that's exactly what's going on with the with these these radical Islamists, uh, all run from Western intelligence, paid for by the way through as um, Scott I can't remember his second name, the former psychological warfare officer in the U.S. discovered through uh, Union Bank of Switzerland. That's where they're being paid through. Why doesn't Begum speak about this then? Given the opportunity to speak live on, on breakfast television this morning to a fairly sizable audience, why doesn't Begum again, say, hey guys, do you know what's going again, on here? Go on. Well, she wants her British citizenship back. Maybe once she gets back here, and of course this is why they don't want her back here, is she can start talking about this stuff. But at the moment, they're blocking her citizenship. They're saying, oh no, no, we can't have her back in the UK. And she realises, I think, that uh, she's got to put some pressure on to get her citizenship back. Then maybe we'll hear about this. But she may not know who yeah. recruited her. She, she's probably read this article. In fact, uh, I remember years ago when there was that poor Muslim uh, elderly guy was killed in, uh, in Birmingham on his way to the mosque uh, by a load of right-wing nutcases. Uh, and I think the guy the guy was brought over from Poland or was it Ukraine? And he was a far right nutcase. I did an article about that for the Russia Today when I had a column on there a few years ago, and I got contacted by his daughter and saying, "Tony, I, you have done the far by far the best article on what happened to my dad," and that was amazing. I was really appreciative that coming from his his daughter, yeah, the guy yeah, who was murdered yeah. in Birmingham. So a lot of this stuff stays under the radar. If you know exactly what you're looking for, you might find it. But the mainstream press just, as usual, turn a total blind eye to the fact. Yeah, I mean, you, you only have to look at what went on in Manchester. You know, this guy, Abedi. And we were able to find out through speaking to people like David Shaler. Now, for some people, David has been discredited because of, you know, some of his bizarre behaviour over yes. the years. But <laughs> Yeah, his behaviour's been bizarre. But I, I, every time I've interviewed David Shaler, I found him to be lucid, thoughtful and, and ready with the facts. And I've always enjoyed speaking to him. It's about time I got him back on. But David blew the whistle on Ramadan Abedi being funded by... UK intelligence agencies to try and overthrow Gaddafi. And, he, and here you have this guy, his son then right. is supposed to have carried out the Manchester Arena bombing, which I don't believe. I don't think a single newspaper reported that in this country. Not one. You're right, Tony. You're right. It's, it's, it's staggering. So Begum might not even be aware of what was going on. What do you say to people who believe that Begum is dangerous, even if she has been, you know, brainwashed, even if she has been the victim of a big sting. The fact is, she's seen all this stuff out there. She's damaged goods. Um, you know, she believed in it at the beginning. We shouldn't have anything to do with her. What do you say to those people? Well, look, if she comes back to the UK, she's going to be a prime witness to the Western Intelligence Service's complicity in, in tr the creation of these uh, Islamist terror groups like ISIS, etc. She will be the evidence. Uh, and, I mean, the idea that this... You know, wherever she is now, I guess she's in her early 20s now, um, you know, that she's going to be some sort of dangerous terrorist is beyond a joke. She is dangerous in the same way as I am and Martin Summers is. Uh, and you are, because we're pointing out that Islamic terrorism, Islamist terrorism, let me get that right, is largely a creation of the West yes, and Saudi Arabian funding. Yes, it you is. You know, that it's actually a fake, rather like the attempt to smear the Jews in the run-up to the Second World War. Yeah. So that's, I think, what's going on with those guys.
Really good. Tony Gosling is our guest. We've got Tony for 10 more minutes live from Bristol. Lovely sound off of that mobile phone tea. Sometimes it's good to go the old-fashioned way, you know. It, there's there's okay. nothing wrong with it. You're sounding, you're sounding great there. Now, I, I opened up my monologue today saying that it doesn't matter if Wurzel Gummidge is Foreign Secretary because guys, yeah. guys like you educated me many years ago as to think tanks, the round table groups, the Bilderbergers. Yeah. These people are window yeah. dressers. But you think the Dominic, Dominic Raab dismissal as Foreign Secretary is significant. Why do you think that is? Well, it's very important, actually, because it's, you know, if you have been paying attention over the last year or so, you'll have seen that Raab has rubbed up against Boris Johnson in several times, very importantly, uh, to do with the British relationship with Russia. Now, the most important probably was a few months ago, I don't know if you remember, where the Russians brought 100,000 troops up to the border with Ukraine. And the BBC made a big fuss about this. Yeah. They said, oh, the Russians are threatening Ukraine. They weren't. They were reacting to threats from Ukraine to invade Russia. Now, if the Ukrainians are starting to say, you know, we're going to take take bits of Russia back, you know, from us, of course the Russians are going to do that. Uh, And so it was, but, you know, as the BBC usually do and the rest of them, is they omit to, to talk about the reasons. You know, they did the same with the strikes. They talk about the results of the strike, but they'd never mentioned the reasons for the strike in the first place. This is the way the treacherous mainstream press lie to us. But anyway, so we had that. We also had, uh, just before the Belarus ele- elections, uh, Putin talked about an assassination attempt on President Lukashenko in Belarus. Then we had also the Crimea incident, uh, which was uh, more recently with HMS Defender, the British destroyer, going into Crimean waters and basically challenging the uh, referendum where 95% of the population said of Crimea said, we're not interested in being part of Kiev and Ukraine. Of course, they're all Russian speakers, and the Ukrainian government has said we're going to ban Russians. So it's hardly surprising that the Crimeans decided to split with Kiev. Uh, and so on all these things, particularly the idea that NATO and the British army might uh, support some sort of conflict between uh, Ukraine and Russia, so be on the Ukrainian side. Raab was against that. He spoke out very subtly, but less subtly when it came to that incident with the the HMS Defender in Crimea. That's he was brilliant work. It was a, a stupid provocation, a, be a silly provocation. Uh, and those are the sorts of things that get foreign secretaries sacked. When you know the deep state is running the show, and if you're a foreign secretary, you've got to sort of uh, just sit down and do as you're told. He went off the Trump reservation, taking... didn't he? He went off the reservation. Well, and you know, what, speaking yeah, he, speaking he of that, thing. for himself. Well, that's very, actually, very interesting. You know what, Richie? He was acting in the British national interest. Let's not do something which is going to make look, Britain look stupid around the world. And of course, the uh, yeah, you know, the Bilderbergers and the deep state do not like people talking like that. Therefore, he's got to go. He didn't. He didn't. We wouldn't toe the line. With no independent thought is allowed, and Boris Johnson is presiding over this government now. Where actually, you know, you just got to do as you're told. He 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 doesn't want ministers that've got any experience or intelligence. He wants a load of pliable stooges, imbeciles like the education secretary. He doesn't even know the difference between one footballer and another. No. And when you listen to these <laughs> two different sports talk nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> These ministers talk nowadays, they sound like they haven't got a clue what they're talking no, about. No, they don't have but a clue. But that's exactly what they want. A completely useless, hopeless government. Uh, and 
actually, it's, it's an amazing thing to say, but he's even make, making Keir Starmer look vaguely intelligent the way that this lot are behaving. Fantastic. I'd love to be back in the mainstream media and I'd love to be covering the foreign office. I would love to be travelling around the world with Liz Truss because a uh, a dizzier bitch has never walked the face of the earth than, than Liz what? Truss. Well, I, I don't but, care. But Call know, me a misogynist. Yeah, I don't is, care. What an idiot. This is perfect. <laughs> you know, this is perfect for them, isn't it? It's like having yeah. a Joe Biden in charge. <laughs> you know, you just got to pull the strings and the mouth opens and says whatever you want them to say. And it's no, not even a pretense of a brain cell no. involved. No. Uh, we're going to go back briefly to Andrew. If you, you, you might have better things to do with your own journalism, but on my website there is a comment live page and people comment live during the programme. And as usual, the comments are very positive. People are enjoying listening to you. But Denise and Stephen want to take you up on Prince Andrew. I'm obviously going to give you the final word. Uh, Stephen says, Tony, on this one is wrong in my opinion. Charles hangs around Savile, Britain's worst pedo, while Andrew has Epstein, America's worst. There's no smoke without fire. These people are filth through and through, says Stephen. Now, yeah. Well, the thing is, with Andrew was dim enough to be lured into that little honey trap. You know, actually, I don't think Charles is, is probably going to be doing that. But I, I wouldn't mind, if you don't mind, just talking about, um, you know, my... Uh, my friend Manfred, who's just passed away. Well, just before you do that, and this is important, yes, thanks. I, I'd written that down, actually, mate. B- b- okay. since you, yes, I, but before we do that, I know plenty of dim people. And there are people who think <laughs> I'm pretty dim. There are people who would say that I'm dim. I know a lot of dim people that would be repulsed by the thoughts of trafficking girls and abusing young girls. I don't think Dim has got anything to do with it. If you want the absolutely bloody final word on that, you can have it now, and then we'll we'll, we'll have a quick uh, chat about Manfred. No, well, we, can agree. we can agree on dimness, you know, definitely Dim. Uh, yeah, so uh, so this guy, Manfred Petrish, who's just passed away, I mean, very shockingly, very quickly, for me, Richie, was one of the greatest guests I ever had. I knew anything to do with Russia, the Middle East. Uh, he, he actually lived in Abkhazia, which is just north of Georgia on the coast of the Black Sea. He'd moved there, completely disillusioned with the West, into a sort of Russian sphere of influence country, which was a a genuine independent place. uh, And he bought an amazing place to stay out of there. But he was brought up as a... uh, Actually, born in Argentina, and his father got him a job as a Swiss banker. So he spent most of his life doing things like financing railway projects, making a lot of money, flying around the world. And he eventually decided, aged about 45, 50, that he'd had enough of the West because he rumbled the whole business of 9-11. He tried to get some of the Swiss uh, politicians to take notice. None of them would. Uh, And so he just got completely disillusioned with the West and decided, right, I'm going to go over to live in Abkhazia. And he did what I think is one of the most devastating investigations into the Bilderbergers. I mean, you know, I looked at this stuff and thought, this is just incredible. It, It was really looking at uh, the initial people who were at the first Bilderberg conferences representing the Germans. And what he discovered was that those Germans were largely, actually, secret ex-Nazis. He traced some of their uh, roles. Uh, For example, Dr. Kurt George Kaysinger, K-I-E-S-I-N-G-E-R. He was at the first Bilderberg conference, but it turned out he'd been in the Nazi party right the way up to and through the war from 1933. He was deputy head of broadcasting at von Ribbentrop's foreign ministry, 
And then at 1957, he, 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 he turns up at the Bilderberg Conference. So when you talk about head of broadcasting from 1940 to 45, he's the master of Nazi propaganda, right? But there he is at the Bilderberg Conference a few years later. So, you know, he's, he's, he did an amazing job on this. And I'm going to be um, repeating some of the last interviews I did with him. But he was clear about COVID, Richie. And this is, I suppose, the rub to all of this. He talked about it as the Bilderbergers' work. And various of us have been tracking down the links of all the, the uh, key people around the world involved in the uh, implementation of the lockdowns and, for example, the blocking of the perfectly good treatment for COVID patients. The and there yeah. are over 50 of them that Wikispooks has uh, compiled a whole list on there on the Bilderberg 2021 page. Over 50 of these people around the world are participants over the last decade or so in those Bilderberg conferences. So he's right. He was right. Manfred was right. This is a Bilderberg operation. But the other thing he said, Richie, is it's a global fascist coup. And he linked all of this back to the plans from the Nazis after World War II to use ec economy and control of the media to bring about a fourth Reich. And he was absolutely clear about that. So I'll be doing another tribute. I did one last week, but I'll be doing another one on this Friday's show to the work of Manfred Petrich, who I think is a absolute unsung. I first met him at the 2016 Bilderberg Conference in Dresden, and we just spent four or five hours comparing notes. I realised this guy's been on a parallel mm -hmm. track with me researching these Nazis for many years. And, of course, he, I think, was a better source than me because he was working in the financial system alongside loads of Germans, some of whom probably fam families of ex-Nazis, etc., in, in Switzerland, uh, and he knew the language. He blogged at the All Smokers Mir Smoke and Mirrors blog in German. So he was informing the German population in a similar way to I've tried over the years to inform the British, the English-speaking population about what the Bilderbergers are and what they've been up to. And now, of course, they have disappeared, supposedly. They don't meet anymore, Bilderberg. That's because they're now in charge. Their job is done. They've got the people into the places they needed to, and they're now doing their devilish work. Tony, brilliant um, tribute to Manfred Petrich. Thanks for that. Before you go, 15 seconds, where can people who haven't heard uh, th th your brilliant radio show, where can they hear it and when? Give it to us quick. Yeah, well, the best place to get the stuff on the deals between the Nazis and the uh, Allies at the end of the Second World War is this book I've published back a couple of months ago, uh, which you can get in hardback or a download of the PDF. That's called The Traitors of Arnhem. And that is my own absolute work. And it's the fruit of probably 25 years of research into the Bilderbergs. And you can see there the Fourth Reich. That's what it is. That's what we're living in now. An economic empire built on the loot of uh, occupied Europe during the Second World War and uh, all the machinations and control of politics and the media that have happened ever since. So that's the traitors of Arnhem. But I've also got this other thing out, which I think for many of your listeners is more of a rounded book. It's not my work. It's an anthology of a whole load of other, uh, well, it's basically ever since the English Civil War and Cromwell, remember him, uh, and uh, it's, an, it's a load of extracts of secret government, basically the parallel government, what it's been up to for the last 350 years. So that is a, a, a longer book. So the first one, uh, The Traitors of Arnhem, is 15 quid. And the second one is called The Siege of Heaven Reader. That was also brought out in April, uh, a paperback and a download. But obviously the paperback's much nicer to have. Uh, and that is uh, 20 quid for that. And it's a 350-page... I mean, it's a sort of coffee table thing you can dip into, really, and just see 
how this world really works. At the end of the day, the, the power behind the scenes is the deep state. It is these Bilderberg characters now in a very, very powerful position, what with control not only of you know, NATO and all its weapons, its nuclear weapons, but also the mass media too. And we've seen what they've been up to with the deaths of something like 60,000 people just here in Britain through preventing treatment with chloroquine, ivermectin, 60,000 people Could dead. Have been avoided. And you were clapping the NHS, Richie. It's madness, Tony. Thanks for, for today. We'll obviously speak again real soon. The Traitors of Arnhem, Tony Gosling, available eBay, Amazon, thisweek.org.uk, Bilderberg.org is a brilliant resource too. Tony, Godspeed. Thanks for coming back. Speak soon. God bless Richie and all your listeners. You too, buddy. Bye for now. Tony Gosling on the Richie Allen Radio Show this Wednesday, the 15th of September 2021. Love to have Tony on the programme. Great guy. It's um, good to be with you. We will be going to Tony Crawley right soon, a microbiologist. And what are we going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about the vaccines. We're also going to be talking about aspartame. You don't want to miss that. The Richie Allen Show relies on your support to stay on air. Visit richieallen.co.uk and make a financial contribution now. Listen, thanks so much for the lovely messages coming through the website and elsewhere about the programme. Thank you. They mean the world to me. They really do. Seven years ago to this day, this particular programme began. I began my radio career many, 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 many years ago. I've done pretty much everything in broadcasting, uh, but nothing like this. And uh, there's a little story. It's on the website, richieallen.co.uk. While I go and get Tony... Tony Crawley, the microbiologist, who sent me a lovely email while I go and get him. Here's uh, the boss, Bruce Springsteen, from his recent album. This is House of a Thousand Guitars. A great tune. Great, great tune. It is eight minutes past six o'clock this Wednesday, the 15th of September 2021. That was Bruce Springsteen, House of a Thousand Guitars. Looking forward to speaking with... With uh, Tony sent me an email a few days ago and uh, described himself as a microbiologist with 14 years experience. He's worked in the pharmaceutical food and water testing industries. Um, he's worked with microbiological diagnostic products and has worked as a medical information executive for a pharmaceutical company. And Tony said that he's he's been listening to the programme discussing germ theory versus terrain theory and, he, and that he has some interesting thoughts on that. He also has some thoughts on the pandemic and the creation of vaccines for coronaviruses and whether that's possible or not. And he also wanted to talk about aspartame, which is really interesting to me because I've been, not for some time now, but over the years speaking to people about G.K. Searle and Donald Rumsfeld and aspartame and what it is and whether it's any good or not. Let's welcome to the programme Tony Crawley. Tony, it's lovely to meet you. How are you? Hi, Richie. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, listen, thanks for reaching out, mate. You make my job so much easier without producers and, and, and guest finders. It was great to hear from you. So, of course, I, I, I would invite you on. And thanks for doing it. I know you're a busy man. Tell us about these conversations that keep popping up about germ theory and terrain theory. I had one conversation with a doctor from, from, from New York. He was a very nice fella, Dr. Andrew Kaufman. And I said to him, I didn't understand what he was saying Whenever there's, you know, sneezy people and coffee people in the places that I've worked in over the years, I inevitably come down with the infection. I didn't understand any of it. I'm trusting, Tony, that you're going to explain it in a way that I can understand. What, 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 what is germ theory versus terrain theory? 
Okay. Uh, first of all, Richie, congratulations on seven years of your show. Oh, thanks, Tom. Um, yeah, that's awesome, man. Brilliant. Um, okay, well, with with germ theory v terrain theory, germ theory is pretty much um, infectious diseases are caused by microbes such as bacteria, viruses, protozoa, that sort of thing. And terrain theory is based that the diseases uh, are caused by environmental factors such as toxins, uh, chemicals, various different poisons and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been listening to your show and um, listening to the various um, guests you've had on talking about this. And um, I think my opinion is that the truth is it's actually a little bit of both. Um, in terms of how how bacteria cause, cause disease, it's mainly down to um, their metabolites. So in some ways, you could say it's a type of chemical poisoning. Um, they produce things called endotoxins. So... I think a, I think a good example of this would be um, things like food poisoning and blood poisoning. They're called food poisoning and blood poisoning for a reason. So with food poisoning, what happens is um, a good example would be um, um, my 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 missus, right? So uh, we we've been together for about uh, eleven years. And when we first got together, she said to me that she'd like to uh, she said. Um, she really likes her, her dad's chicken soup and he'd like, she'd like to make it for me. So I was like, okay. And so we, we had, we, we, we had a chicken carcass and she left it in, um, in, a, in a pan of water, uh, left it throughout the day and over the night. And in the morning I was going to work and she said she was going to, she was going to make, make the chicken soup for me. And I said, well, no, cause you're going to end up getting, getting poisoned because it's been out for quite a few hours and uh, she didn't really believe me. Um, so I, I, I went to work. She said she was going to boil it for a few hours, but uh, I said to her, "Look, if you if you boil it, okay. If the if the chicken's got any Salmonella Campylobacter in it, you're going to kill the Salmonella Campylobacter. But what's going to be left behind are the endotoxins, which is actually what causes a disease." Um, so anyway, she, she she didn't listen to me, and uh, she she made the soup, and uh, yeah, she ate it, and she ended up getting very poorly. Oh, um, Jesus! And, yeah. uh, she. she but probably lucky she didn't end, didn't end up damaging the kidneys, end up on dialysis. So I think that's that's, that's a good example. I mean, with, with with bacteria and how they cause disease, it, it's it's more straightforward in terms of uh, identifying this because in terms of seeing bacteria, as long as you have a relatively decent light microscope, you can see them. And in terms of measuring their metabolites, you can you can do this as well. It's it's, it's quite straightforward. Um, with viruses, it's a bit different because um, viruses, I suppose, you can't really class them as being alive. They don't produce any metabol uh, metabolites, and um, the way the way they replicate is they they need they need cells to uh, to uh, um, pretty much they uh, take control of the, the cell's machinery to replicate the uh, protein shell of the virus and to uh, replicate their DNA. Um, so it's it's a bit of a grey area, really. You know, bacteria are about a thousand times bigger than viruses. You can you can isolate bacteria easily. You can view them in the culture media, colonies, that sort of thing, um, and you can you can see them and you can you can test the effects of their metabolites. Um, with with uh, with viruses, a bit different. Um, it's, it, you, they're very difficult to culture, and also in terms of seeing them, pretty much you can only do that under electron microscopes. Um, I think in terms of Viruses, I think, in the past as well. I think the, I think they've been used as an, as an excuse for some big corporations that have um, poisoned people uh, by, with chemicals and stuff like that. And I think viruses are sometimes used as as the excuse 
for having for, for having done that. So, is there an example, think, Tony? Is there is there an example you can think of off the top of your head? You're not the first person to say this to me, although not for a long time, long before COVID. Somebody said to me yeah. on this program that big corporations have poisoned people through the water supply, through pollution, through some other way, and that they've blamed viral infections for it. Can you think of a good example of that? I suppose, I, I suppose one would be DDT and polio. Um, there's, it's, there's some debate there whether it was actually the effects of uh, chemical poisoning from DDT that actually caused the polio. And, right. um, so that, I, think, I, think, I think that's probably the most well-known one. Um, but I think in terms of what I want to talk about later as well, in terms of bacteria and the metabolites, that's, uh, that's quite key as well in terms of how um, your, your immune system is affected by uh, metabolites of uh, bacteria and how they um, actually uh, affect your immune system. And that's, I think that's really key. So I think that's, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about um, that um, briefly was just to say in terms of how, how they cause disease, there could be a bit of crossover there because you could argue um, the way bacteria primarily cause disease through the, the effects of their endotoxins that some way has a bit of a crossover with terrain theory because it's basically a chemical poisoning. I mean, if you, if you look at um, septicemia, blood poisoning, um, it's, it's very dangerous if uh, bacteria get into your blood, um, meningococcal, for example. Um, your blood is very nutrient-rich, so in your, in your bloodstream, bacteria will uh, multiply and um, uh, metabolise very quickly and um, build up these toxins. And, you know, in terms of that can happen within a few hours, um, so that's what makes septicemia very dangerous, and it, it is it is a type of poisoning, and that's primarily how how they cause disease. I mean, so Tony, you think you you think that bacterial infections tend to be more worrisome for us than viral infections? Yeah, I think so. I mean, with um, I think I, I think with viruses, it's a bit of a grey area. I, I I think I think in terms of Obviously, I've, I've been indoctrinated with germ theory. That's, that's pretty much what I learned at university and throughout my whole career. And, uh, but I think I've been following the alternative media for the last 12 years and, and some of my views have, 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 been, have been altered. So I think with, uh, with viruses, there are respiratory viruses. They do exist. And you know, I, I think, though, there are some instances where people have, have, have become ill or poisoned and viruses have been blamed on it when it hasn't really been the case. And it's quite difficult to, to ascertain that because, as I mentioned, to pure, purify and isolate a virus is very difficult. And, um, to, you, know what, to you, know what, you know what my next question is, don't you? You know what my next... If there are people joining all the time, Tony Crawley is a very experienced microbiologist. He's on the line with us live and what he's saying is very interesting and very thought-provoking. So you know my next question is obviously going to be then. Are they telling the truth when they say that they've isolated SARS-CoV-2? You know what? I, I I don't think they are. I don't think, like I said, I I, I, I do think respiratory viruses, coronaviruses, influenza viruses. You know, I think they do exist, but I don't think SARS-CoV-2 is real. And I'll tell you why. Um, okay, we, we we've been we've been fed this narrative, this story that um, there's a gain of function lab in in Wuhan, and um, they basically gain of function would mean that they'll be. Uh, manipulating coronaviruses to make them more infectious and more lethal. Um, my first thought on that is, is they haven't done a very good job because 
looking at the stats worldwide and in the UK, we haven't had a pandemic. Um, we haven't had, uh, you know, a, a, a significant increase in, in, in deaths worldwide. So my first thought is um, if they have developed a, a, a SARS-CoV-2 gain of function, they didn't do a very good job with it. And my next thought about that as well is let's have a think about the sort of people who are, who are involved in this, in, in this uh, I'll call it a fraudulent pandemic. And what do we know about them? Well, they're psychopaths, they're cowards, and I think they're control freaks. So why would they release a, a deadly gain-of-function coronavirus on the population when they, can't con- when they can't control it, basically? They could become infected themselves and seriously ill and or possibly die along with you know, the other sick fuckers who are part of this conspiracy. Uh, I suppose you can call, it, call them the globalist elite or, or cabal. So yeah. that's my thought on that. By the um, way, you're the first scientist to ever appear on the Richie Allen show and use the term sick fuckers. That deserves a round of applause, Tony. That deserves a round of applause. Absolutely, yeah, sorry, don't I'm, hold back. No, 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 I'm not, I'm, I'm not being sarcastic. I, I'm I, not I, being I, sarcastic. Very angry. You're a scientist. I looked into you before you came on the programme. Your credentials are impeccable. It's stunning stuff, this, you saying this. So you ask a good question. Why would they do the gain of function and create a terrible virus uh, because they might be equally as susceptible to it. Could they not, this is going to sound very childish, Tony, but bear with me, could they not, could it be argued that they would manufacture some sort of antidote to it, maybe? That they could take? I don't know, am I being stupid? Or? I think so. I, I, I think what's happened here is they needed, they needed a backstory, didn't they? They needed a narrative. Um, the, the end game here is to get these jabs into everybody. Um, so it's just... Um, you know the, the the reaction. I mean the uh, the problem reaction solution, isn't it? It's, it's, it's one of those. So um, they have they, basically as well. They, they haven't really needed to create this virus because um, what they've done is they've they've done a rebranding exercise where all coronaviruses, flu, influenza, um, all the spiritual infections, pneumonia, for example, have all been rebranded as SARS-CoV-2. They've been, they've been able to do that with this fraudulent PCR test. Um, so in terms of that, you know, they, they haven't really needed to. And I think what, what Event 201 showed us as well back in um, October 2019, which I think was Gates and John Hopkins University in, in New York. Remind them, um, let's, let's not assume now that all the listeners understand what happened Event 201. Give us a brief overview of it, Tony, please. OK, what, what they looked at it was in terms of if we had a worldwide pandemic, how would they, how would they manage it? Yeah. And it was about um, manipulating um, statistics and it was about um, controlling the narrative in terms of the media. And that's what we're seeing now. They've been manipulating statistics to give a sort of impression of a pandemic and they have full control of the media. I mean, in, in the Western world, there's about five or six corporations that control all the media. And by controlling the media, you know, I mean everything. You're talking about, um, you know, uh, 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 journals as well, scientific journals. You know, they they decide what gets in there as well, ultimately. And uh, I think you mentioned as well, Richie. We used to have independent um, um, radio stations, and now they're all being bought up by um, companies like Global. The and same people. Sort of thing. Yeah. And it's, about, it's about controlling the narrative. So if they, if they control the narrative, manipulate the stats to give uh, an impression of a pandemic. And we all know how powerful fear can be on people. Tony, this Uh, is very important. Can you imagine if every adult in the country was told that they gamed a pandemic scenario last year 
and how they would manipulate people into doing what they wanted to, wanted them to do. And then, lo and behold, by an amazing coincidence, a pandemic came along. I like to think if if everybody in the country over 18 knew that, this it would be game over, wouldn't it? It should yeah, be. Yeah, you'd hope so. But, you know, the, the way the way people have have um, complied with with this pandemic, this fraudulent pandemic, and, you know, it, it's, it's been pretty obvious um, in terms of looking at um, ONS stats and stuff like that. People have, have you know, swallowed this up line and sink. I mean, in my, in my industry, it's like um, colleagues who I work with, they've, they've had like a, a, a collective lobotomy and forgotten their science. Um, the way masks, you know masks won't stop um, an airborne virus and they, they, they've, they've been taking a, a vaccine for a coronavirus and we've known for decades you can't create a vaccine for a coronavirus. They've been trying for decades. They, they mutate too often. Um, you, you can't do it. Yet. Do you swear to God, Tony? Look, whether you believe in God or not, indulge me. Do you swear that that's true? I mean, you know this. To the best of your knowledge as a microbiologist, as a man of science, you know this to be absolutely true. They've never been able to make a jab for, for a coronavirus. Is that 100% true, that? They haven't been able to make an effective one, which means um, one that um, will, will prevent you catching other coronaviruses. I mean, but this is the problem. This, this is why they want to bring in boosters. I mean, you can argue that that's... That that's the case. I mean, it, they haven't been able to make one for a, for a cold virus either. So it's it's it, yeah. this it, it, it doesn't sit right for me. I mean, like I said, I think ultimate the ultimate goal here is to get these jabs into everybody. And I I think the bioweapon isn't SARS-CoV-2, but it's the spike protein. It's the spike protein. How b- before yeah. we come back to the spike protein and. You've done, and I'm not patronising you now at all because I'm my my brain is fairly simple when it comes to science and when when it comes to scientific subjects and mathematics and stuff like this, my brain tends to freeze and I I tend to get a bit kind of saturated with information and I can't process it. You're doing a brilliant job of explaining this to me, explaining how you feel about this. Before we come to this spike protein, my my great pal in Connemara, Jean Ann, asks a great question: If the jabs are causing severe adverse events for people, for some people. How long does Tony think they'll get away with blaming the unjabbed for all of the cases and the hospitalizations? Surely the adverse effects will event- eventually tip the balance. Do you think so, Tony? Well, yeah, I would. I mean, the, the problem is, is they control the media, don't they? And control the narrative and they're, they're quite good at, at, at covering up things. I think in terms of, in terms of, people becoming ill from these jabs I, I think there is some hope actually for people who have had the two jabs um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to um, you know have a, a um, sort of illness and eventually you know it's, it's going to shorten their life and I'll explain that a bit more now yeah um, in terms of in terms of how this spike protein gets into your cells i mean it depends on the type of vaccine so let's look at you know um pfizer and moderna it uses mrna which um, has the gene which codes for the spike protein it's encased in a, a lipid capsid which gets it into the cell and then it hijacks the um, cell machinery in the cytoplasm so the the, the ribosomes and um, what they do is they manufacture um, the um, spike protein by reading the genetic code on the on the messenger uh, RNA, and 
the way the AZ one works is it uses a genetically modified adenovirus from chimpanzee. Um, I mean, who the hell would want that injected into themselves? But that's not um, me. It's a genetically it's, no, it's genetically modified because it contains a gene for the spike protein. Now, normally during protein expression, what what happens is um, in the nucleus you've got your genetic material, so your, your, your DNA in there. And then when a, when a gene needs to be expressed, a protein, basically all, all your genes will code for, for proteins, which have functional purposes. Some of them are enzymes and things, and some of them are structural. Um, what happens is a section of the DNA is, is unzipped, and um, a, a copy is made of the gene that needs to be expressed. Now that then ends up as a, what you call messenger RNA. It's called messenger RNA because it's then carried out of the nucleus into the cytoplasm where the, uh, the the gene that is expressed you get um the, the ribosomes and things which will stick together amino acids to make the functional protein now what i'd say is the, the manufacturers have said but well, i don't know if we can believe them because obviously we know these corporations lie is that this gene this spike protein gene is not is not being incorporated into your dna now normally that process where the um the transcription of the gene and the messenger RNA goes out of the nucleus into the cell. Normally, it's one way. It doesn't happen the other way. And that's to protect the DNA, basically, so you, you don't end up um, with, 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 your, with your DNA um, being um, um, altered, um, which can lead to things like cancer and stuff like that. Um, so as long as, as long as this gene does not get incorporated into the DNA in the nucleus, what will happen eventually is the cells which are expressing this spike protein, they have a finite lifespan, okay? So they'll divide a certain number of times before they expire. Now, when they divide these cells, what happens is a complete copy of the genome is made in the cell, and that then is incorporated into the new cell when it divides. Now, if, if the spike protein gene is in the DNA, when it's copied, it'll end up in, in, in the new cell that's made. Now, if that happens, you're pretty much gonna end up being spike protein uh, manufacturer for the, the rest of your life but if if it's not incorporated into the dna eventually when that cell expires um these these spike proteins will stop being produced so as long as you don't get any booster jabs eventually what will happen is your immune system will mop up the damage that's been done because you were foolish enough to take these vaccines and they'll mop up the uh, the spike proteins and hopefully eventually you'll you'll recover that's that's if you live long enough um, for you know, your immune system to do this. I mean, I think it depends on how strong your immune system is right. as well. This is huge now. This will be big news for our listeners, some of whom their parents have taken the job. And because they've heard Professor Cahill, because they've heard Bakhti and others, they, they imagine that if you've had the jabs, well, then you're doomed. And you're saying not necessarily. I'm delighted you're saying that. You're saying not necessarily yeah. that the immune system can repair that damage, but it's important not to keep getting the boosters. Yeah, I mean, the, the prop, like I said, the problem is if, if, that, if the gene for the spike protein is incorporated into your DNA... Then you're screwed. Like I said, no, no, yeah, I mean, we have got the te- we've got the technology to do this, to um, you know, cut and paste basically genes into, D- in, in, into your DNA. We, you know, we, we do have this technology, but it's whether it's in the vaccines. Because like I said, normally when, when, when genes are expressed and the mRNA is taken out of the nucleus, it normally happens one way. It doesn't yeah. go back in because obviously there's protections there in terms of looking after your, your genome and making sure that, you know, that isn't altered because it can lead to things like cancer. So um, I, I, I think we'll, we'll probably know 
in, in you know in a couple of years time um, whether whether that's the case um, we'll know if you have people who have taken the two jabs and thought right I've done my bit I'm not going to have any boosters if we see people who who have done that and you know they end up being fine then we'll know okay maybe it's not um, incorporated into into the cell DNA and eventually the effects of the spike proteins being being produced will wear off so but 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 if they're lying and it is um, introducing itself to the DNA and then every replicated mm. cell contains those spike proteins then people are in serious trouble yeah or might be yeah I Jesus think so. Tony. So uh, it, it 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 depends on that really. I mean, so we're guinea yeah. pigs, I mean, aren't uh, we? We're, we're ultimately then humanity is just a big mass of guinea pigs to these people. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think I think they know what they're doing. I think they know what the intention is of of you know um, of these spike proteins. I think I've, I think that their intention is to um, reduce the population. They do want to make us sick. And uh, I think I think that is the intention. Um, now you're but, working for a company. I won't mention the name of the company. And I know, as I said, I know that you're 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 a legitimate scientist. And you've said that you've stood aghast as your colleagues who should know better. They should know that masks won't prevent the spread of a, an airborne infection. They should know all this, and yet they're going along with it. I mean, you must be an absolute outcast now, are you? I don't mean I shouldn't say that, but I mean you are an outlier now, really, in your field. Yeah, yeah, it's difficult. I mean, I, I, you know, when I spoke to you last week, I was a bit concerned whether I'd get into my conference. Yeah. And um, yesterday, I did. I mean, the, the the requirement was you had to be um, double jabbed, have a negative lateral flow flow test, and then wear wear masks when you're in, in inside the venue. Um, Obviously, I'm not complying with any of those things. Uh, never will, and ne- you know, haven't done. So, thankfully, though, when I turned up, I just walked straight in. Uh, I was expecting people on the door, checking this. It wasn't. And thankfully, when I was in the venue, um, I'd say I'd say most people weren't wearing masks. But the problem is, most most of them have, have taken their jabs. Had the jab. it, does make, it, it does make it difficult speaking to your colleagues about this sort of thing. And, yeah, this this was like the first. I, I do quite a few conferences and exhibitions, and this was the first one we've done for eighteen months. And uh, yeah, um, it was good to see uh, people I haven't seen for a while. And uh, we were all there. You know, if it was a proper pandemic, I think you probably I'd, I'd expecting some of us to be missing. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> everyone was everyone was there. You know, so it, it, that 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 was all right. Then, but yeah, it, it, it does it does make it a bit difficult. I mean, I did have a an issue in work. Um, last um i think it was a, uh, um the summer of 2020 and uh this they were trying to get people back into the office and and onto uh, onto the uh factory because we might we manufacture these diagnostics and things like that and yeah uh, um, they wanted people back they, they wanted people back in the lab this is summer last year right what happened then well, so we're told we have to wear masks. I mean, primarily what my what, what my role is, is I, I sell microbiological diagnostics. Okay, so I use my microbiology knowledge to sell diagnostics. I was told I need to be back into the office, but you need to wear a mask. And I said, no, I'm not complying with it. Um, I thought I was going to get fired, but, you know, my, my boss backed down because I'm in senior management and uh, it was fine. But 
it just it didn't make sense because a lot of people were wearing visors and things like that and i just think you know that's, that's not going to stop any airborne virus I, I i was i was just i was just amazed at people going along with this because it, it's it, it just it seems ridiculous and i will not comply with any of that i won't join the lunatics in the asylum you know Tony Crawley is our guest and Tony is a microbiologist and uh, an experienced one, an experienced scientist. Obviously a university graduate. This, this is a field he knows a lot about. He's been explaining germ theory and terrain theory brilliantly, by the way. He talks about why he believes the pandemic is fraudulent. He made a very compelling argument as to why he thinks that's the case. He said that they've never successfully created a jab for a coronavirus because the viruses mutate too often. He believes we've been lied to by the government and he suspects the manufacturers of the jabs might be lying when they say that the uh, the jabs are not interfering with the body's DNA. But he's a scientist, so he doesn't say he knows that for a fact. He says he suspects it. And he suspects if it is interfering with the DNA, it's going to be catastrophic for people going forward. This is important. It's really important. I can't emphasize this. I think you're brave, mate. And I, 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 I'm not buttering you up at all. It takes a bit of courage, you know, to step away from, I shouldn't say the herd, but to step away from the consensus and to put your hand up and say, look, no, I don't think this is right. I don't think this is... Um, you know, uh, this doesn't sit right with me. I think you're brilliant to, to, to do that. I really do. We are, we're, we're exactly 25 minutes to the top of the hour. We've got about 20 minutes left in the programme. Tony's going to stay with me. If there's anything else you want to add to that before we talk about aspartame, uh, uh, Tony, um, do, mate. Don't, don't, um, uh, don't let me just kind of move us on because there might be something else you want to say. No, I, 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 think, I think there's just a a lot of fear going around i think it's also people have fear for their jobs don't they and yeah. also they just they fear ridicule speaking out in case they go against the consensus i mean at the, at the conference i was speaking to some um colleagues who work for different companies i haven't seen for a while and one of them packed up is what we need to do is we need to get these jabs into the children and said well I'm not going into my bloody children and you know it is it, 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 I've known this guy for years and it, it just his demeanour with me changed. It was a bit awkward and he just sort of walked off. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 it is difficult, but um, I know it's the truth. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm just surprised that so many people seem to have forgotten their science and are, are going along with it. It's, uh, you know, they, 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 all, they all know PCR tests. They should know that being used at 40 to 45 cycles and they, they should also know that you can't use it to diagnose disease in, in humans. I mean, it's uh, it's, it's 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 not right. But um, yeah. But they're doing it anyway. Before you talk yeah. to us about aspartame, can I ask you a question? A very good friend of mine called Patricia, who lives in Zurich, like me. Well, I shouldn't say this. Maybe Patricia has a background in science. I, I don't know if she has or not. She's very bright. I don't know if she's got a background in science. But she said to me, she finds it very suspicious that they can test people and say that those people had the Delta or the Alpha variant. She says, wouldn't you need to design a totally brand new test to do that? Is she right in saying that? Is it a complete red herring to say that you can, that the PCR test can differentiate? Look, you, you, made, you made the case the PCR test shouldn't be used and you're right to say that. All the science bears it out. But is she right to say it's very suspicious when they test somebody and say, oh, that person has the Delta variant? She says, how could they know? What do you say, Tony? Yeah, I mean, they'd have to introduce totally new primers 
nucleotide base primers for the PCR test, which um, as far as I'm aware, they haven't done. They haven't done. Um, so you, you would need completely new. I mean, the, 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 the nucleotide base sequence on the primers is supposed to be um, um, unique for whatever it is you're testing for. So the SARS-CoV-2, the, the nucleotide base primers, the genetic sequence is supposed to be unique for that particular virus. It's not though. I mean, there's there's there's, there's blast searches you can do looking at the nucleotide base sequence, and you see it's found in found in other places. Um, so you know, it's it, it's not accurate, and using up to forty to forty-five cycles isn't accurate either. And also, when 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 you're when you're looking for that nucleotide base sequence as well, you don't you don't know if you're, you're if you're finding an infect an infectious agent because it could just be the uh, leftover. Um, strands of of the uh, um, um, genetic sequence of the virus. What makes it infectious is actually the protein coat, because that has the receptor sites which enables it to dock onto its target cells to get into the cell to deliver its genetic material to take over the the uh, the, 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 the uh, processes in the cell to manufacture new virons, replicate its um, RNA or DNA depending on the type of virus. That's, then that that's basically how viruses um well in germ theory anyway are supposed to cause disease is by causing cell lysis so eventually the cell um either is worn out through um, the, its uh, machinery being uh, um, taken over by the virus or the cell lysis so it bursts and releases virus particles to go and infect other cells that's in germ theory that is how viruses are supposed to cause disease so for example um hiv um is seen to cause disease by uh, affecting your white blood cells so um, when the white blood when, when the when the hiv virus becomes active and uh, you know starts replicating in your white blood cells your white blood cells are depleted and that can lead to uh, immuno uh, aids basically um acquired immunodeficiency syndrome um for example as well um sore throat if you have a virus causing a sore throat it's, the germ theory is that uh, the, the cells in your throat are or lysing, and that is what's causing the problem. Um, that's what gives you the sore throat. Um, with viruses like Ebola, it's supposed to be that you know it, it, it affects um, multiple organs, and that's why you get bleeding from various orifices. In, uh, it's because you know, your your organs are breaking down basically because the cells are being destroyed by the virus. That's that's the theory. It's anyway. a theory, yeah. Um, yeah. Tony, this is I'm 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 blown away by this. I really am. I want. I want to talk. I am. This is stunning stuff. This really. Thanks for reaching out to the program and coming on to talk about it. It's twenty-two uh, seven. Let's spend ten minutes talking about aspartame. We've, we've had to take quite a lot in, and I, I'll be asking you to come back, Tony, as well, if you if you don't mind, um, to pick up yes. some of these subjects again. I was introduced to the idea that aspartame was a deadly. Um, that the sweetener was potentially deadly for people many, many years ago by a lovely woman in America called Betty Martini. Lovely lady, very, very eloquent uh, speaker. And she's been sounding the alarm about it for years. You believe that it weakens our immune systems. It kills our good gut bacteria. That's what you believe. And that's a scary thing because it's pretty difficult to avoid aspartame these days. Tell us more. Yeah, I mean, I've known I've known for a while because I've been interested in, in the role your gut microbiome plays in, in your immune system. I mean, it it's, uh, produces macrophage activating factors like GC-MAF, which some of your 
listeners might be familiar with, um, which um, basically turns on your macrophages to go around. They they uh, destroy cancer cells and uh, other uh, bacteria and, and uh, things like that. Um, what I've always, as a father of two children, I've always read labels on on drinks and stuff because I, I I know this effect. I mean, there's there's multiple studies that have been done looking looking at the effect of not only aspartame but um, a sulfame K and sucralose as well in terms of how it affects your gut microbiome. Um, I mean, in the in the Daily Mail today, actually, there was an article. Um, I think the, the main things that affect in gut microbiome that, that we take on a routine basis are things like artificial sweeteners, antibiotics, um, uh, and those sort of things. So uh, there's actually an article in Daily Mail today, um, research that was done by Norwich University and the Quadrum Institute. The Quadrum Institute is actually a company that I, that, uh, I supply. And what they did, they, they were treating mice with broad spectrum antibiotics and uh, it made their breast cancer tumours grow more quickly. Um, and uh, what they found is the, uh, the uh, uh, antibiotics led to the loss of the beneficial gut bacteria in the mice. Um, so that it, it was, there's lots of evidence to show how your gut bacteria have a, a big impact on your immune system, and it's it's a lot to do with their metabolites they produce, and you know that that sort of thing. Um, and I think with the Spartan, I think that's that's. The, the, the world's most widely used artificial sweetener and it's been linked to cancer, cardiovascular That's disease, right. um, stroke, dementia, obesity, glucose intolerance uh, and intestinal dysbiosis which basically means disruption of your uh, gut bacteria. Um, so what I've noticed in the last 18 months, two years from looking at these labels, about about 18 months ago, two years ago, what I noticed is rather than being in diet drinks, it's now in pretty much all fizzy drinks and all fruit cordials. I mean, your your, view, your, your listeners can 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 see this for themselves. Go into your supermarket, Tesco, Morrison's, Asda, whatever co-op, have a look at the, the, the fizzy drinks and have a look at the cordials. Uh, it, it used to just be in the diet stuff, but now it's in everything along with you know, regular sugar like sucrose, you know, sucrose. Why, why would they do that? I mean, it, it can't be to um, improve the taste because I don't know yeah. if you ever drank a, a Diet Coke, it tastes like shit. Um, so I never it's, thought it's of that, Tony. It's unnecessary. It's absolutely unnecessary. You mentioned Diet Coke. Didn't Coke dispense with aspartame or was it another soft drink? Well, I think if, if, if you look at soft drinks, you'll find that... <laughs> Probably, probably the only two big brands that you can get which don't have artificial sweeteners is is, is your full cap, full, full uh, fat Coke and Pepsi. Obviously, they've got Diet Coke, but what I'm talking about here are things like Fanta, Seven Up, Tango. I'm talking about Cordials, Robinsons, Ribena. Uh, yeah. All of these in the last 18 months to two years now have, as well as sucrose in, now have aspartame and um, a sulfame K. Why? Why would they do that? For me, I, I I think it's sinister, and I think it's an attack on our immune systems. It just seems to coincide with this fraudulent pandemic. And um, this, like I said, it's happened in the last eighteen months to two years. Was wasn't there before? Is now? And this is why I want to speak to you about it, Richie, because like I said I've I've been listening to alternative media for a while, and nobody's nobody's, nobody's picked up on this. And wow, like I said, it, it, it's it's in everything. It's really difficult to to find 
drinks for your children, which which doesn't have this in. Um, I said that to know, the missus so- today. I said that to the missus today. I was telling uh, uh, Caroline that you were coming on, Tony. And I said, you know, we're going to be talking about this. And obviously, knowing you were going to talk about it, I have to do a bit of research just in case you tell a lie so I can jump on top of you. But of course, you're not telling any lies. You're right. It is next to impossible in terms of soft drinks to avoid this stuff. And you believe then, and you're the first person to say this to me or anybody, that that all of a sudden it's everywhere. And you think it's connected then to what I believe to be the scamdemic. You believe that somebody or something or some some group of people wants to make our immune systems weaker, deliberately. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there's, there's loads of studies published in, in Nature, um, Suez et al. in Nature, um, in um, Journal of Open Metabolism, American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. There's loads of trials showing, um, peer-reviewed, that these artificial sweeteners... Um, damage your gut bacteria um, and, 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 you know, cause, cause things like cardiovascular disease, um, mood disorders, and linked to cancer. I mean, um, Harvard researchers in 2012, they reported a positive association between aspartame intake and increased risk of non-Hodgkin lymphoma, multiple, multiple myeloma in men, leukemia in men, uh, and Jesus you know, Christ. It, it's all there. That, that was published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. They know this. They know I mean, it. We'll go back to G.K. Searle and Donald Rumsfeld. They've known it forever, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, they, they have. They have to. I mean, the, the critics will say oh, there's, there's trials that have been done to show that it, it's not harmful. But if you, if you look at those trials, the numbers they use are small. And they also look at recommended daily intake as well of these sweeteners. That is what they use. They use recommended daily intake of these sweeteners. But how many people stick to the recommended daily intake yeah, of these sweeteners? And they're only done over a short period of time as well. I mean, you know, there's, there's lots of people out there who, who would drink a whole whole bottle of Diet Coke, you know, full two litres in a day, wouldn't they? Um, so this in the trials, they didn't. They stick to the recommended daily intake. It was over a short period of time. But you can imagine if people are drink, uh, 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 significantly exceeding the daily I'm intake and they're doing course. it for a long time, over years. Um, yeah, it's going to have a serious effect on their immune systems. Both of my local corner shops can't keep energy drinks in stock. The youngsters, there. Do you know where 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 I am, Tony? I'm I'm not far from Media City. I'm surrounded by five different schools, and I swear to God, they're walking around the kids most mornings with the monster drinks, with the Red Bull drinks. You're absolutely bang on. They're exceeding the daily recommended dose by maybe hundreds. A factor maybe by a factor of a hundred, maybe 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 more. And your advice to anybody listening to you, you're an expert in this field here, that they should be checking to make sure that they're not ingesting these 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 substances, aspartame or these other sweeteners. And if they have children, yeah. especially, just stop taking this stuff immediately. Yeah, I, I, I know. Yeah, definitely. And I know it's it's harder for. Uh, parents who have teenage children because you can't always keep track on what they're buying from the shops and things but educate them tell them tell them what what, what this stuff will do to them um i'm i'm really angry that this has been it seems it, it's gone under the radar and like i said all how many people do actually read these labels they don't no um what purpose like i said would it would it have it's, it's not enhancing the flavor why why do why do that you know um so I, I think Great point. Why put fluoride in the water? Fluoride does nothing for anybody. The industrial 
you know, fluoride they put in, in water. They know it's nonsense. It doesn't do anything for our enamel. It does nothing for our teeth. They, they're putting it in there for a reason. Do us a favour, Tony, will you? Um, first of all, thanks for reaching out to me. Thanks for speaking, um, you know, with giving us an expert opinion. If the media can do this every day, I can do it. You're an expert. Uh, the media keeps telling us these people are experts. You're an expert. Thanks for talking to us about the uh, terrain theory and germ theory and why you believe that, you know, you, you know that there's more to terrain theory than maybe I've ever given uh, credit to. Very interesting stuff, that. Uh, the, the, the spike proteins, the jabs. It's been fascinating. We have to pick it up again with your permission. Just want to thank you for having the balls to do it, mate. You know, it can't be easy with a family to speak out and to talk about aspartame. And I'd love to pick this up again in the very near future with your permission. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, I'd, I'd like to speak a bit more about probiotics as well in terms of what you can do to help Solutions. the immune system. Um, you know, things like uh, consuming kefir, um, Bravo probiotics, probably the best in the world, developed by Dr. Reinwald and Dr. Marco Ruggiero, which some of your listeners might be familiar with Dr. Marco Ruggiero. He worked with David Noakes at Immunobiotech and developed in GC Math. Right. There's these things you can do to boost your immune system, as long as, the, you know, along with other stuff we've all, you've spoken about on your show, other guests like vitamin D3, which actually forms part of the GC Math complex. Um, let's so get into that next time let's get into that next time because I interviewed David several times I was always oh. I was always fair with David I did give him a bit of a chasing sometimes but he did admit to me you know that he didn't that he, he would have done things a bit differently in terms of you know promoting GC math and some of the claims he made which was honest of him and uh, you know I, I always found him to be an affable guy I've known David forever I used to speak to him about the European Union um, yeah. yonks ago you know so so look let's get into that for now though Tony thanks for reaching out to me and thanks for coming on the programme mate and uh, I'll obviously be in touch with you um, pretty much ASAP and we'll set it up again we'll get you set up with um, uh, a Skype or a Zoom or something where we can, uh, you know, we, we'll, it'll sound like you're sitting next to me and we'll take questions from the audience as well. Thanks, Tony. It's been great to meet you. All right. Cheers, Richie. Take care. You too, mate. Tony Crawley there, very experienced and um, very credible microbiologist. And uh, he's dropped a few bombs there, hasn't he, in terms of terrain theory and germ theory, the jabs and the claims they have made that... Um, these mRNA jabs don't affect the DNA, and he said he doesn't believe it. He doesn't say that they do. He's he's very honest, but he says uh, he suspects otherwise. The aspartame information, very, very important. You need to know what's in the drinks you are ingesting and everything else. I go back to Betty Martini many, many years ago, speaking with me, lovely lady Betty, with that lovely southern drawl. She's been on that case for many many, many years. This is your Richie Allen Radio Show. It's Wednesday's programme. It is the 15th of November 2021, a red-letter day for this programme, which is seven years old today. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Yes, if you can, if you have never done it, but you can, today's the day to do it, by the way. Go to the website where it says support your show. There are bank account details. You might set up a standing order. There's also a Patreon thing as well. As I say, and I always mean it, if, if, uh, if, if it's not financially viable, don't do it.
All right, okay. Listen, I, I did put something on the, the website earlier on, so I don't want to dwell on it. It's not the biggest deal in the world. It's not. It isn't. I'm not being modest either. I didn't think seven years ago that it um, would necessarily survive, you know. You don't know. It's the longest job I've ever had this. That's a strange thing, but it's the longest job I've ever had doing this. And it, it is a bit weird and wonderful to think back where it was seven years ago. I was in a room in Fallowfield in a house with very rudimentary gear. And I'll, I'll be, for, for as long as I'm on this mortal coil, as long as I am, um, I'll be forever grateful to people like Paul Ripley and people like Hayden Hewitt. You know, Paul has been there constantly, you know, tinkering away with the studio for seven years. You know, I've mentioned people like Jean Ann and Mark and, and, and Patricia. I've mentioned them, Sophie and Andrew and Ruth and and, and Andrew in Jersey and all these people that have dipped in and out. I'm not going to mention them all now. I've, I've mentioned them on the website, richieallen.co.uk. Let me just grab some water. I didn't have any water during the programme. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. But it's a mad feeling, you know, we started off with this very basic setup, and and Paul did a an absolutely wonderful job putting it together so it sounded decent, as we say back home, decent. And it did sound decent, but it didn't sound like the, as I call them, the legacy media. It didn't have an identity. So that was a, a, a big problem for me. I had to bite my tongue because there was no money. And through your help and the help of Jean Anne and and Patricia and the people I've mentioned, I was able to to, to build this state of the art incredible studio. And here we are, seven years later. I did mention today, and you you know I've never been a martyr. I'd hate to be claiming to be one. I'm not, but I'd like to continue. I'd like to continue doing this as long, you know, as I want to, and as long as you want to hear it. But you've seen it this year, particularly with the with the PayPal and the Twitter, and we had it before with the YouTube. I think the the half-decent independent media, and there aren't many of us that are half-decent, you know, that sounds, that sounds, that doesn't sound nice, that, does it? But I don't mean it to be nasty. There are a lot of well-meaning people, and they're decent people, but the product isn't great, you know, Shows and content that mirrors the legacy media, well, they're few and far between. But uh, they're going to come under in increasing attack, I think, in the next uh, in the next short while, as they push through these online harms bills. You know, I, I think it's going to be a struggle in, in, in the near future. I think you'll always be there. You'll always support the independent media that you appreciate. I don't think that's going to be a problem. Um, so I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I think they're going to interfere with this more and more as time goes on. That's what I think, you know. It's not because I'm a worst case scenario kind of doom monger. I just think it's, you have to be realistic. They don't like it, you know. This show is listened to on iTunes and on Spotify more than the BBC Today Show podcast, you know. It's listened to more than most of the LBC and talk radio presenters podcasts. I'm not boasting when I say that. I'm just saying they won't put up with that. They won't tolerate that. You know, 
upstarts like us, like coming along and building our own studios and doing their job for them, they're not going to put up with it. Look, we'll we'll, we'll have to wait and see as things as things pan out, but we'll see. I'm enjoying doing it, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being decent enough to put your hand into your pocket occasionally to support it because there isn't any other way to do it. Nobody will advertise with me. <laughs> Obviously. I'm not going you're not you're not going to be hearing ads for, for Calgon. You're not going to be hearing ads for, for tablets for, for dishwashers. For for Pepsi Cola, I wouldn't have them anyway. McDonald's I wouldn't have them anyway. So it's always going to be your support and you've done it for seven years thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart and to everybody who had anything to do with the programme to all of the guests to all of the friends that have been around since day one and to the amazing woman I share my life with because without her tolerating me being away most of the time 80 hours a week working on it if she didn't put up with that I guarantee you there wouldn't be a programme because I wouldn't do it if it affected her in a negative way but she said from day one it's the right thing to do continue to do it so I'll continue to do it I love you thanks for listening thanks for being there speak tomorrow at five o'clock the usual time bye now I've heard people say that 